Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Thank you for joining us this morning on Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. The debate about social media use and mental health has been going on for a number of years, and there are now statistics that show a clear correlation between social media use and youth suicide attempts. In fact, suicide is now the second leading cause of death among people ages 10 to 24. Yes, I said 10. And it's not just youth who are affected. We see celebrities who shut down their social media accounts after being attacked and bullied for something they've posted or said in an interview. And social media influencers in their early 20s have committed suicide one after another. It's just it's like a plague. So joining us today to sort through some of these statistics and the factors that contribute to this issue of suicide. I'm very happy to welcome from DRT Behavioral Services with locations in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, board-certified psychiatrist and neurologist, Dr. Delvina Thomas. It's great to speak to you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me on with you. Talking about mental health and wellness is something that I love to do. So thank you. And thank you for the time that you're giving this important topic. Well, you know, it really came into focus during the pandemic because so many people were suffering a lot of different mental health issues, depression in particular, anxiety. You know, they were concerned about children being out of school and doing everything online. And now we hear about these correlations between children being online or young people. And, you know, I know that you work in both psychiatry, neurology, you do psychotherapy and alternative health, too. So can we explain maybe a little bit about what it is about social media that both attracts young people and then turns them away to where they feel compelled that there's nothing else in life for them but to take their life. Yeah. So um, social media is one of these things that has actually created what we term the reward system. So humans are social by nature. We like to socialize, most of us. We like to be a part of something. And social media companies know this. There are certain algorithms and a lot of these platforms, they study our human behaviors and what we do. And so if you've noticed, if you go on social media, these systems, they can save what you're doing or what sites you go to. And that's what they'll advertise to you. Oh, yes. It's, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> you know, I've actually found that I've had a conversation verbally and then what I've spoken about has turned up online. <laughs> and that's a little disturbing. But absolutely, I, I see the definite, uh, you know, there are things I've purchased during the holidays and I just keep seeing the same ads over and over again for places that I've shopped at. So I know that our information is out there and there are yeah. they're aware of us. And, uh, you know, like you said, the algorithms will then give us things that we're already interested in. And it's sort of what do they call it? Confirmation bias that it's giving us things that we already believe in. 
Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. And so these applications, they're constantly developing things to encourage people to engage the platform. So this reward system that I spoke of, it's the system that is uh, our dopamine system. So it is what gives us a pleasurable feeling when we're doing things such as You know, people get pleasure from eating their favorite food. They get pleasure from watching their favorite movie, from listening to their favorite song, you know, whatever is therapeutic to someone. And also the things that cause addiction in our lives, such as alcohol and smoking cigarettes and using certain drugs. These things tap into the dopamine reward system. And so does a like on social media. Yeah. So the reward system is what keeps these teenagers, because when we think about it, teens are not as mature. Their brains are still not developed because our brains are still developing until, and most people until we're like in our mid-20s. And so they can't handle managing this reward system because, see, it's so easy to have access to social media. And I'll just interject that I tell my adult patients oftentimes, your child in elementary school should not have a smartphone. You do not want your child accessing social media before they're ready to manage all these emotions. And I would even say someone in junior high school does not need a smartphone because there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. So the reward system learns what we like, and it also suggests things that are similar to what we're liking, like you were just explaining. And so people will continue to click and swipe. And when you post something, your reward system is activating when people like what you posted or when people engage you and and they comment. And so sometimes folks who cannot manage the reward system or that pleasure, that rush that they get from someone liking a picture, they then can become addicted. Right. Because there's a rush. They feel good when they see this. And so, you know, also just like when uh, drug addicts can crash when they don't have what they're feeling for, this type of addiction can also cause a crash. And so when all that dopamine is gone, when they're not on social media, because and when they haven't learned how to, to manage it, they can crash. And so that's how social media negatively affects our teenagers. It distracts them. They stay up late sometimes looking at their screen, so it disrupts sleep. It exposes them to negative information online. And there are some unstable people out here. There are predators. There are people who create posts to entice young girls and young women and young boys. So social media is not a safe place for our children. You know, I'm not sure it's a safe place for our adults either because we do the same thing. How many people do we know who stay up late in the night looking through whichever platform it is, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or reading whatever Elon Musk is doing now on Twitter. And then we don't sleep either. We're exposed to all that blue light from the digital Mm -hmm. equipment. And, you know, adults are just as prone to get the same dopamine pleasure out of seeing a like. And then you have this interaction with complete strangers who you don't know, they could be pretending to be someone else. And there's a sort of anonymity, I think, that people feel. So they say things on social media that they might never say in person. And there's so much anger out there. You know, it, it really seemed to grow during the pandemic. And, you know, I don't know how much was related to the fact that people were shut in or how much was just a natural outcome of the growth of social media? 
Yeah, you know, definitely what you say is so true. Adults, you know, they can be exposed to the same dangers of social media. One would think that as an adult, we would be more mature and have more discipline to be able to manage ourselves. But you and I both know that's absolutely not the truth in a lot of cases. So I speak of this word discipline because I grew up in a military household. My father was a drill sergeant. I'm in the Army Reserve currently, have been in for almost 20 years. And so discipline is important. You know, if you don't learn discipline in your household, if you join the military, you will certainly learn discipline. Right. Um, And so we have to have discipline in life and managing all things that we do, because a lot of things can be addictive other than social media. But you got to be able to set limits for yourself and set boundaries. That is important. Is that something that a family can do together? Is this a conversation that you can have over the dinner table or maybe aside from dinner? You pull the family together and say, we're going to talk about this and together we're going to work on this. I endorse family conversations. I will never stop endorsing that. It's something that must take place in the household. One of my biggest things is this acronym CRAP, Communication Resolves All Problems. Think about it this way. When your children, once they learn to talk and they learn to listen, to hear, and you can have conversations, and even before they can do that, you're teaching them these things. So you want to have conversations at home. You want to have family meetings. We used to have a family meeting in my household every Sunday, once every Sunday, once my brothers and I, I'm the youngest in my family. My oldest brother is five years older. The other is three years older. Once I was in junior high and my brother, you know, got into high school and went to college, the meetings kind of, they went down in frequency. However, during those most precious years during our childhood, we had family meetings on Sundays. Sometimes they took place at the dinner table during dinner. Other times it would be during the car ride to Dairy Queen after dinner. But families must have family meetings because life is similar to running a business, right? Relationships are very similar to a business. So you want to have order and you want to have effective communication in the home. And that's where it starts. It starts with sitting down with the family and having intentional conversations and encouraging the feedback from the children. What are some guidelines? Because, you know, I certainly know that in many families, they'll try and talk and what they get is silence in return, particularly teenagers who don't want to reveal their personal inner lives um, or you get anger or it turns into a big fight because not everybody knows how to communicate and how to listen properly. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to start a conversation that will encourage both the adults and the children to really open up, be honest, but also be polite when they have a problem or a complaint? Yes, yes, yes. The mother and the father are the directors. They're the CEOs of the family. Children watch what we do. They watch how we behave. They watch how emotionally intelligent we are. And a lot of our bad habits, sometimes children can inherit those bad habits and those bad behaviors. So number one, we must check ourselves first. If you are not someone who um, is able to utilize emotional intelligence, you may raise a child who does not want to talk to you when they become a teenager. But if you are supportive when they're a child and you don't shut that daughter or your son down when they're younger and they're trying to express certain things to you, then more than likely when they grow up into their teenage years, they will be very comfortable in sharing certain information with you. I'll use myself as an example. My son, when he was a young child, if he said something I didn't like, I didn't shut him down. 
utilizing. Sometimes I hear parents berating the child, calling the child stupid. What you said is stupid. Those things affect children. They sting. They cut like a knife. So you said, what are some guidelines? Guidelines are no yelling, no profanity. Don't berate the child. Be receptive. And sometimes if they're doing something that makes you angry, and this part I had to learn because I was not perfect as a parent, you cannot engage the situation in that moment. You may have to walk away from it and have the conversation later. And just know that when there's something going on with your child, you may not be able to resolve it in that moment. Sometimes resolution doesn't come until after several several conversations. And then eventually, as you're building on these conversations and teaching your child, then a resolution can be created. So I think sometimes parents want to end the situation right now, period, it must stop. But it's not that way for our teenagers and our children. Sometimes things take time. So you must have patience also. I would add that to those guidelines as well. And then, you know, obviously these feelings are ongoing. Is there a way to identify in your children if they are having difficulties or anxiety? Can you tell when they need an intervention? Yes, because um, some children will feel comfortable saying it to you. Other children, I would say probably a greater majority of children will act out and they'll want you to pick up on it. And they act out because they don't know how to say, I'm sad or I've been crying every night. And especially if it's a young boy. Girls, because of, you know, we have these different stereotypes of, uh, of boys and girls or men and women, girls feel oftentimes more comfortable in crying and saying that they need help. Boys and young men and men are typically not like that. So the way that folks act out, oftentimes children and also males, anger is what you'll see, irritability. Sometimes, oftentimes you'll see that children change their routine. They change the way that they do things. Maybe when they used to pop up in the morning before school and take their shower and get dressed and come down to breakfast, they're now delayed. They're staying in bed longer. They may not care about their appearance. They may not have the same appetite. Maybe, you know, they enjoyed coming down to breakfast to have whatever it is that they enjoyed consuming. But now with this depression or anxiety, they just, they've lost their appetite. They're eating a lot less. Sometimes they eat way more than they usually eat. So um, other changes too that one might see are changes in sleep hygiene. Children who have difficulty falling asleep or sleeping through the night. So they're getting up a lot and you hear them, you know, just um, milling about or you hear them in the household. Don't go and see them and say, get back to bed. What are you doing up? You may want to say, hey, what's going on? You're not sleeping. So having a more supportive approach is more helpful than the authoritative type approach. So say to them, oh, something is different about you. Do you want to talk about it? Give them the option. And if they don't want to talk initially, you keep trying to encourage that from them. Is there a point where you would want to bring a professional in? The professional comes in when you notice your child is having consistent days of sadness. Um, Maybe it's been over a week and your, your child is crying every day. They're not talking to you. They have withdrawn. They're not going to their sports practice or they're not going to their club meetings. You've noticed the changes in the sleep and the appetite. You've noticed that they don't want to go to school or they're, they're saying that they're sick all the time. And most of the time, children will also feign physical illness or maybe not feign it, but they believe that they have an upset stomach or they believe that 
they feel sick because sometimes mental health symptoms will manifest as physical symptoms. Maybe they have a headache and they can't go to school. So not going to school or going in late, not getting out of bed on time, those are signs that you have to get some outside help. And if they ever say to you, I just don't feel like it's worth it. I don't feel like waking up in the morning and they don't have any of the other things that I mentioned to you, run to a mental health professional right away. We have to call in that professional help early on. Don't wait until I've had parents tell me, I thought that I could handle it myself. It's been over a year and now I'm finding, you know, I found a suicide note. You don't want to wait that long because why wait? If your child is having some kind of physical problem, you'd rush them into the pediatrician right away. Of course. Mental health has to be has to be treated the same way. Now, how does a parent know who to go to? Where do they find, you know, is it one of the organizations like NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness? Do they call 211-311, depending what county they live in, or the national mental health number, 988? So those numbers, like 988, is for a crisis. Okay. Um, if it's not a crisis, let's start with two categories, insured and uninsured. If you're insured, you can go online with your insurance company and pull up a list of providers who are on your panel, which is the best way to do it. Because if you do a Google search and you pull up all these providers who are in your area, they may not take your insurance. And I think that frustrates people at times when they're calling all these people and they're like, no, I don't take Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, and if you're uninsured, you have access to healthcare by utilizing a community mental health center. There are places in South Florida like Borinquen, um, New Horizons, CHI, Henderson Health Clinic. And some of these places also have residential units as well. And Citrus Health Network is also, and they've been around for a long time. They also have a community mental health center. When I saw the statistic that suicide is now the second leading cause of death among people 10 to 24. 10 years old, That I can't even fathom how a 10-year-old gets to the point where they feel so helpless that they have to, how do they even know how to take their own life? Or is that what social media is teaching them? Yeah, and that's one of the things about social media is that your child has access to a lot of things. Um, Girls and women are typically more sensitive to certain posts online But things like uh, cyberbullying happens to boys and girls. And we know that children who are bullied are almost two times more likely to have attempted suicide than adolescents who have not been exposed to bullying. So that is a a huge factor in why suicides have gone up. And I'd like to emphasize that in the Black community, suicides have increased 300% in children. Yes. Yes. And children as young as the age of seven. So and children up to teenagers and these kids can go online. And this, you know, supports my statement that kids do not need a smartphone because you're you're giving your child access to information they're not ready for. Besides suicide attempts, self-injury is also taught online. These people, some of these folks out there in social media world are sick. They're teaching children how to engage in self-injurious behaviors, like cutting themselves and burning themselves. So when children are upset or feeling angry, because maybe all homes don't have a parent who has the ability to parent. 
because sometimes they're absent, sometimes they're at work, sometimes they've experienced trauma as well growing up and never dealt with it. And so they ignore their children. They don't have a healthy relationship with their child. So the things that I talk about often in preventing these situations, sometimes like the, the communication and the family meetings, sometimes that is just not a possibility in certain households. There's an irony to me that we used to worry so much about bullying in school, physical bullying or even verbal bullying, but it was face-to-face. And you'd think that when the kids are home that they're safer, but it seems like cyberbullying is even more damaging than the face-to-face. And with school, you can go to an administrator and say, hey, you know, we need to do something about this and hopefully bring the parents in and try and find a resolution. But with cyberbullying, you have no idea who the person is that's doing it. So other than removing the child from the situation, which can be hard because what what's the message we get all the time? Fear of missing out. FOMO, FOMO, mm-hmm. FOMO. It's everywhere. And we're all subject to it. And so you're like, oh, my gosh, I have to see what's going on. And again, like you said, there's that reward in being the first to know everything. So how do you help young people and adults understand that you don't have to know everything right now and you don't have to be connected all the time, that it's good to take time off and disconnect from social media? Yeah, you you just tell them that plainly. And you also provide alternative activities for your children, you know, Teach them at the dinner table, don't use your phone. When you go out to dinner, they can't have their phone. Have set up times when the family is together and no phones are allowed for for anyone. So you can't be a parent telling your child you can't use your phone at the dinner table, but yet you're sitting there using your phone. Right. And your excuse is that it's for work. You should be able to set aside time for yourself to spend with your family that's dedicated time so you're not using your phone. So we have to walk the walk and talk the talk, you know, not just talk the talk, but you have to be able to do both things. You got to be an example for your child. So it starts there, showing them that you can have fun without being on social media and also not allowing your child to set up a social media account for a certain age. So parents have to decide in their households, what is that age for, for your children? No one can dictate that to you, but I would say it should not be before the age of 13 or 14. How do you respond to a child? And and I know parents deal with this all the time who says, but all my friends have social media and I'm going to be left out. Well, I would say, and if all your friends cut off their hair, would you do that too? (laughs) You know, that, that doesn't move me. And so, and you have to be that person that's not moved or influenced by your child trying to manipulate you. Children are smart. They know how to use reverse psychology the same way that we do. You just can't be moved by it. And you have to stick to, you have to be adamant about your decision. I see it all the time. A parent who comes in and tells me their child is disorderly and disruptive. I ask, how old is your child? Do they have a cell phone? Do they have access to social media? And oftentimes the answer is, it's, it's not oftentimes, it's always the answer is yes. And I ask, well, how old were they when they got access to that phone? And it's usually in elementary school. And I tell them it was too early. You expose your child too soon to too much. Now you got to try to deal with the aftermath. Take the phone and tell them they are not allowed on social media. It's kind of become the replacement for the TV as a babysitter. 
It's like, okay, here's the phone. Go do your thing, and I, I have to take care of my business. So you know the child mm-hmm. is occupied. Um, yeah, it's so much worse. Yeah, it really is, the interaction. I mean, I, I recall you know, when MTV first came on and everything was all these quick cuts, and we thought these children are going to have no attention span, but it's worse now because of the messages that they can get through social media and the access that they have to websites that they should never, ever have access to. Um, Are there classes for parents? Because nobody teaches you how to be a parent. It's the one thing that we can all do for the most part. And yet there's no requirement for a license like we need to drive. Even to get married, we need a license, but you don't need any training to be a parent. And it's probably the most critical job you can do in your life. It is. And um, I have to say, I, I learned of a nonprofit program called Be Strong International. And it's a program that dedicates their time to teaching youth and parents Um, how not to be a broken family, how to have heart skills and love and to maintain healthy relationships. So I would direct folks there. I've been interacting with Be Strong for almost two years now. That interaction started during the pandemic. That is really the only parenting class that I know of. Oh, one more. University of Miami also has parenting classes as well and programs that are funded by the Children's Trust and other agencies. And regarding the the bullying situation, there are resources one can use. The Hope Scholarship offers programs for families who are dealing with bullying and also offers a scholarship. So that's a, you know, a very positive benefit to a child who may have endured bullying in school. So it's for all kids, kindergarten up through 12th grade. Okay. And that the website is stepupforstudents.org. And that's a wonderful program that they put together. When you were talking about the heart skills and love and maintaining healthy relationships, I immediately thought about all of these holiday dinners that people are having. And there's there's so much, you know, there's a lot of angst that goes along with that. And then there are the people who don't have family to be with and they go through their own holiday blues. What can you recommend for people who are coping, especially post-COVID, people who lost someone with COVID? And every holiday is a reminder that that person is not there. So what's a, a coping tool for that? A very good coping skill would be to first, you just you have to know and love yourself. And if you don't have family, you should create your family. We can create a family of friends who love us and friends who are genuine like us. And also creating new routines during the holiday. Let's say you lost, like for me, I lost my mother, you know, over 15 years ago. And a lot of the, the, the routines that she would go through for the holidays, when I would try to do that stuff, it was very depressing. So I had to create new traditions and, and new routines. So just know that the holidays, it, they don't last forever. Use it as a, a time to redirect your thinking and to see things in a more positive light. Think of all the positive things about the folks that you have lost. And if you lost people during the pandemic, think about all their positives and try to create different routines so that you can celebrate the holiday. And just know that the holidays are not about gift giving. It is more about spending time with your loved ones. If those loved ones have moved on to a better place, just know it is a better place and be happy for that transition in in life that they've had. And create new memories, create a new circle of, quote, family, close quote. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
If someone wants more advice from you, how can they get in touch with you, Dr. Delvina Thomas? They can call my office at 305-981-1700. And they can also email me directly at info at drdelvina.help. And the doctor is abbreviated. It's D-R, D as in Delta, E-L, D as in Victor, E-N-A, dot help, H-E-L-P. Okay. If you don't mind, can you come back again? Because with your history in the Army, you know, you did three tours. And that is a fascinating thing to not only delve into whether that is what prompted you to become a psychiatrist and also how to help veterans who are dealing with PTSD. Um, You know, I know that's an ongoing issue. They come back and the transition is very difficult and there aren't always immediate services or training available that they know about. I mean, I know they're there. But it seems like there's a break in the system between, okay, you're going to go home and up, you're on your own. (laughs) Um, Right. So you are spot on. Okay. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have you come back and talk about that. And let's keep the conversation ongoing about mental health and do what we can to save our children and all of our loved ones. You know, like I said, every week. We see another story about someone who has committed suicide, and you just can't imagine. They seem like they're fine, they're happy, and then they're gone. And that's the last thing we want anyone to have to live with for the rest of their lives. Yes, ma'am. I would love to join you again for a conversation. You are so passionate about the topic, which matches my energy as well. And sharing information is vital to our community. Amen. I am with you. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. And thank you so much for all of this information. And I'm going to wish all our listeners a peaceful, calm, (laughs) and and happy (laughs) holiday as well. Dr. Delvina Thomas with DRT Behavioral Services. You are a blessing. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to Community Focus this morning. If you have questions about today's show or would like to suggest a topic, please feel free to email me at ellen.jaffe, J-A-2-F-1-E, at cmg.com. Join us again next Sunday for an all-new edition of Community Focus, and have a wonderful day. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.